have you ever met somebody, and from all intents and purposes, this person appears uh, well put together. They're, they're smart. You know, they, 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 they have a lot of knowledge. They're good on many levels. But then when you get to know them, you just don't like them. You're just like, dude, you have all this going for you, but you're just kind of a jerk. Like, I just don't like you. This would be the difference between uh, IQ and EQ. Now, IQ, this is, this is uh, intellectual knowledge. We understand that. That is what you know. Uh, that is uh, knowledge. We get that. That's your intelligence, IQ. EQ is a little different. EQ stands for emotional intelligence, right? Anybody know where we're going with this? Where you can meet somebody that has a high, an IQ off the charts. They are smart. They are geniuses. But they're just idiots. You just, you get to know them and you're like, dude, they have no EQ. No emotional uh, knowledge at all. And so they look very smart. They have all the degrees. But they just don't live like that. And then you meet some other people who seemingly don't have any book knowledge. Who have very low intelligence. But they have this street smart. That makes them savvy. That makes them uh, phenomenal. And that would be somebody with a ton of EQ, emotional knowledge, without the IQ. And so you've seen this play out in your life. As you think about people you've met, you think about people that you, you've come along with in, alongside your life. Uh, this would be the kind of person who probably says the right thing at the wrong time or, or, or the right thing in the wrong way. And so I had one of those examples that I said the right thing at the wrong time. In fact, a couple of years ago, I was in church and we were doing a series on being missional, about loving our city and making a difference in our city. And I, I got, man, I got so encouraged by this. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my city. And so I was going to get, it was a Friday night. Our family does Friday night pizza night. So I was going to pick up pizza at the pizza shop. And I'm in line at the pizza shop and I'm like, man, I have an opportunity to write in front of me. There's a cashier. She's going to take my order. She's going to take my money. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to reach her. I'm going to get, I'm going to build a relationship and be able to share Jesus with her. And so I'm in line and I'm kind of looking and, and, and I'm kind of, oh man, you know, there's a little bit of a belly. I'm like, I know what I'm going to do. So I get up there and I'm like, yeah, can I have two large pepperoni pizzas? And, and I said, and, and, uh, and what are you do? Now, wisdom would tell you, men, wisdom would tell you, don't ever ask a woman when she's due. Okay, wisdom will, t- I mean, I don't care what you, I mean, don't ever ask that question. If she brings it up, it's fair game, but you don't ever have the right to ask that question. So she said, excuse me? And I said, oh, you know, w- 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 when's your baby due? And she looks at me, she says, I'm not pregnant. Now I'm sitting there and my face is turning red like the ketchup on your hot dog. And I'm like, um, well, aren't you Susan? She goes, no, I'm Maria. And I'm like, oh, I thought you were Susan. Wrong person. My bad. I'm so sorry. Trying to dig myself out of that hole, if you know what I mean. See, this is, we can have the best knowledge. We can have the best of intentions. And sometimes we need a little bit of wisdom to go along with that. It doesn't always add up. In fact, in life, there are these hard and fast rules. There's this knowledge that we can gain. In faith, there's the knowledge we gain from the Bible. And and it's good to have that kind of conviction. It's good when we come to church and we feel that conviction that we want to love our city well. But we need more than just that conviction. 
We need more than just knowledge. We need more than just rules. We need wisdom. Wisdom that helps us to fill in those moments day by day to help us make those decisions where the Bible doesn't specifically say, here's what you do. We have to have wisdom to know how to live. And so that's what makes me excited for this summer here at Restoration Church. We're going to be able to look at the book of Proverbs, uh, a series that we're going to call Wisdom for Living. And so if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn, open your book to the book, open your Bible to Proverbs. If you have your uh, phone, you can pull your Bible app. Um, if you're looking for Proverbs, it's going to be in the middle of the Old Testament. You'll see a book right before it called Peace Psalms. And uh, if you find Peace Psalms, you need to move forward just a few more pages. And I am excited. It's really Psalms. I'm just having some fun. I am excited for this series. Uh, I think one of the things I know about God and I know about Restoration Church is, is we want to make sure we understand uh, the massive truths of the Bible. I want to make sure that we understand the, the theology of what, what God is teaching us. And God wants us to know these things. But just as important, God wants us to, uh, just as important as to know these things, God wants us and cares about the nuances, about what makes life good, about how to live life the best way possible. And the reality is, and the reality is, with, with a bunch of people, with, a, with 120 people here this morning, uh, there may be some of you, or maybe there's people that you know, that have all of the knowledge, that have all of the, the, the truth, that have all of the theology, that, that know all the facts about life, and these people still somehow make a mess out of their lives. These people, with all of this knowledge, they still make a mess out of their churches. They still make a mess out of their families. They still make a mess out of their workplaces. They still make a mess out of their community. And this is because that simple fact that, yes, we can have all that knowledge, but we need help in the everyday decisions of life. Not necessarily in the hard and fast rules and that knowledge, but we need help in the decisions day by day, moment by moment. When we have the decision between actions that are Maybe not, not right or wrong, but maybe they're wise or, or, or less wise. And we need to have the ability to know the difference between those two. So uh, this summer, we're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs, uh, Wisdom for Living. A couple things I want to point out as we introduce this uh, new book to a, our church here today. Uh, normally here at Restoration Church, we go through passages of Scripture or we go through books of the Bible and we kind of look at a section of Scripture and we preach through that. And we're going to be able to do that for the first couple chapters of Proverbs. Um, but what happens is once you start digging into Proverbs, you're going to find that these are largely a, a, a collection of separate, uh, self-contained, isolated observations about how life works. You have a bunch of, uh, of small uh, verses that are units of thought unto themselves that realistically you could take majority of Proverbs and put these verses in any order because there really isn't a ton of, of structure to it. So uh, after the first couple of weeks, like I said, we're going to look at the first couple of weeks and look at some sections out of the first chapters of Proverbs. But after we get through there, uh, what we're going to end up doing is kind of looking at broad topics. We're going to look at the topic uh, such as, as marriage. And we're going to look at all the Proverbs that teach us wisdom on marriage. And then we'll look at finances and look at a bunch of uh, Proverbs that God would give us to give us wisdom in our finances. And so we're going to look at this series a little different than we've looked at some of the series in the past. The second thing I need to give you a little bit of a heads up as we look at this book of Proverbs. Um, we are I am absolutely going to do my very best to teach you life-changing principles out of the book of Proverbs. 
Uh, we've got a couple other guys who are going to be able to speak, and, and we're going to try and, and make this the best series ever. I mean, we make that with every series. We want it to be the best series ever. But even if we do, even if these are the best sermons you've ever heard, they will still not have the same impact on you, on your life, as if you were to actually get in and dig in and wrestle with these truths yourselves. If you would get in and, and allow and say, God, would you help me understand these things? And you got into this book yourself. Man, I believe that God can completely change your life all around you. God can change your relationships. He can change your speech and how you talk to one another. He can change your marriage. He can change your leadership. And I believe he can change your life. And the key for this is not just to come and hear sermons. The key for this is to you dig in and wrestle with these things yourselves. And what's, uh, what I want to encourage you to do is uh, we, we printed these bookmarks off for, for you. Uh, there are a bunch of these on the resource table out front. My encouragement to you is to grab one of these bookmarks as you leave today. Uh, on the back, you're going to see that there happens to be 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. All right? And how many days in a month are there usually? 31 days. So here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Okay? Every day, I want you to look at the date. Today happens to be Sunday June 10th. My encouragement to you is to open up Proverbs to, to the 10th chapter. Read whatever chapter correlates with the day of the month it is. And I want you to read that chapter. Now, obviously, June, it only has 30 days. So when you get to the chapter 31, my encouragement to you is just skip it and read it the next month. And, and, and here, as you go through this process, let's say you forget a day. Let's say you forgot to read on the 9th. Listen, just pick it up next month. Just move on to the next day. Just stay consistent with it. Because um, I'll tell you what's cool about this is as you read the book of Proverbs this way, uh, as you read it, you're going to read a bunch of verses. And if you're in chapter 10 today, you're going to read a bunch of verses and, and they have no application to your life. And you're like, that's good to read, but nothing really stuck out to me. But then there's going to be a couple of verses in that chapter that are going to jump out. And these are verses that have like blinking lights all around them. And they're saying, hey, Kevin, this is for you. This is what I want you to learn and hear today. Because this speaks to your situation. This speaks directly to what's going on in your life. And guess what's going to happen is, is next month, you're going to read that same chapter. And some of those things that you kind of skimmed over that had no impact are going to have a completely different impact on your life that month because of different seasons. And so as you're reading the book of Proverbs, uh, three questions I want you to ask yourself every day. As you read these chapters, three questions I want you to, to ask yourself every day. Number one, what verse applies to me today? As you read through Proverbs chapter 10, and you think about where you are in life, what's going on. I think about Zach, Zach Brown, you graduated. So you're looking at, uh, hey, how does chapter 10, what verse speaks to me today? The second question I want you to ask yourself is, where have I seen this play out in others? All right? So you're reading this verse. Uh, an example of that would be in Proverbs 13. It says, One who guards his mouth protects his life. And one who opens his lips invites his own ruin. So you're going to read that and start thinking through, Okay, who have I seen play that out? Who have I seen that runs their mouth all, their, all the time and has brought destruction and problems to their life? See, that's giving you wisdom to understand this idea is actually truth when you see it in life. The third question you have to ask yourself is, where have I seen this play out in my own life? 
How have you seen this play out in my own life? Another example of that, there's a proverb that says, pride comes before destruction, not an arrogant spirit before a fall. It's a well-known proverb. You can begin to look at your own life and think about, man, the times that I struggled through pride, man, it brought destruction. It wasn't successful. So you want to be able to ask yourselves these questions as you read through the book of Proverbs. How does, uh, what verse applies to me today? How have I seen this play out in other people's life? And how have I seen this play out in my own life? So today we're going to start looking at the first seven verses of chapter one of Proverbs. And I'll tell you what we're going to look at today. We want to look, look for the who, the what, and the why of Proverbs. The who, who, who wrote the book of Proverbs, who compiled Proverbs, uh, the what, what are they, and the why. And when we get done with that, we're going to look at this key idea that's going to be foundational for the entire book of Proverbs. It's going to be foundational for uh, us to know wisdom. So if you would do me a favor, if you would stand with me, uh, we're going to read Proverbs chapter 1 together, the first seven, first seven verses. And if you don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the screen behind me as well, and I encourage you to, to follow along. Proverbs chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, that the wise hear and increase in learning, the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's God's word for us today. Would you pray with me? God, we are thankful for the opportunity to be gathered here today. We're thankful for a beautiful building, God, that you provided for us to meet in. Uh, Thankful for the opportunity to be gathered together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, I pray as we open up this book of Proverbs and when we begin to look at wisdom, God, I pray that you would give each and every one of us wisdom. I pray, Lord, just as we are to look at the scripture to say, God, how would you speak to me today? God, I pray that we would do that this morning. That we'd say, God, would you speak to every one of us in here today? Give us an understanding of how Proverbs can have an impact on our life, on how wisdom is needed. And Lord, I pray that you give us that wisdom. I pray, God, that you would change us through uh, our time together. I pray that you would change us through this series, that you would continue changing us throughout the summer. God, we are so thankful for your presence on us now. And we plead that you would rest here, rest on us, and draw us into a deeper love for you, Jesus. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. So we're going to start looking at Proverbs. And the first thing we want to know is the who. Who wrote the book? Who compiled the book of Proverbs? And you actually find that answer in the very first verse. The very first verse says, the Proverbs of Solomon. Solomon is the guy who compiled all of these Proverbs. The son of David, the king of Israel. Something that needs to be said is, uh, Solomon did not write every one of these Proverbs. He wrote a good portion of them. But some of these Proverbs are things that Solomon collected. And so, uh, from the very beginning, the book says Solomon. He's our author. He's the guy... And the question becomes, well, why Solomon? Why did, why did Solomon be the guy chosen by God to compile all of these Proverbs? And I want you, as we think about Solomon, I want you to recognize the grace and mercy of God on Solomon's life. To the fact that God chose Solomon for this purpose, I want you to see God's grace and mercy. See, if you understand a little bit of, of Bible history, uh, we, we understand that Solomon is a son of, of David and Bathsheba. 
Now, maybe you've been in church a long time. Maybe you know the story. If you don't, David was a very important king. He was king over Israel. He was a great king. He, he led the people well. But David, like many of us, he had some issues. There was one day where David was supposed to be out in battle, and he wasn't. He was at the palace, and he's looking down over the city, and he sees a woman bathing, Bathsheba. She's bathing, and her name is Bathsheba. See the uh, connection there? And he lusts after her. And he desires her, and he goes and he has an affair with her, and he gets her pregnant. The problem is Bathsheba was married to Uriah. And so David starts thinking, oh man, what am I going to do? What if this gets out? And so David says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to have Uriah killed. And so uh, actually he brings Uriah home and tries to get Uriah to sleep with his wife. But Uriah was a man of honor. Uriah said, all my brothers are, are, are in battle, uh, in the war, and I can't come home and, and experience the fruit of home while my brothers are sleeping in the fields. And so Uriah refuses to, to sleep with his wife while uh, David brings him home. And so then David has another idea. I know what I'll do. I'll send, I'll send Uriah out to the front of the battle. I'll put him out in the very front. I'll have everybody fall back. So the enemy has no choice but to kill him alone. So that's what he does. And David thinks, phew, Uriah's dead. Now I can take Bathsheba as my wife and everything looks natural. I don't, nothing's going to happen. Well, again, if you know the Bible story, that's not what happens. The prophet comes to David and says, David, I know what you've done. David, this is what you did. And David says, you're right. I confess. I did this. I was wrong. Uh, I had this affair. I had this man killed. And there became a, uh, you're going to see this in Proverbs where there's, oftentimes there's a consequence for uh, our sin. And there's a, a, a de- there's a huge consequence in, in David's life. In fact, the consequence was that that son that Bathsheba was, was uh, pregnant with, that son was going to die shortly after birth. And another consequence was, David, you're going to have uh, your, 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 your country, you're going to be at war until the day you die. There's not going to be peace for you. You're going to continually be at war for the rest of David's life. And now you're looking at this, and Solomon is the, the second son of David and Bathsheba. And you're looking and saying, man, what a, what a horrible situation to be born into. What a, what a horrible situation to be born into. But actually, I want you to see God's grace and mercy in that. Because as we read Proverbs, we're going to see that there's this balance between consequences of sin and God's grace and mercy. God's grace and mercy being unmerited, something that we don't earn. Many of you have experienced this in your own life. Many of you have done stupid things. You've, done, you've made poor choices, and you've dealt with those consequences. You've dealt with the consequence of that. But yet, there is still grace and mercy. The gospel is still there. There's still that good news that even in the midst of that, God forgives. God gives grace and God gives mercy. And God brings good things out of the worst of the worst. And that is a picture of Solomon's life. That God took uh, David's son that was born into not the best scenario. And made something beautiful out of it. And that is a picture of grace and mercy. The other thing to understand why Solomon was the guy that was chosen to compile the book of Proverbs is you need to, I don't know if if you have a pen, but in your Bible, I would encourage you right next to chapter 1 to write 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3 gives uh, insight into uh, more of who Solomon is. And 1 Kings chapter 3 verse 1 uh, so King Solomon is king over Israel, 
And it says that Solomon made an alliance with Egypt. You don't have to turn to 1 Kings 3. I'm just going to tell you what it says. Uh, verse 1 says that Solomon made an, an alliance with the king, uh, with the pharaoh over Egypt. Now, that's a really bad idea. And I'll tell you why that's a bad idea. Egypt at that day and age was the greatest nation in the entire world. Yet, they were also a sinful nation. In fact, for, for over 300 years, uh, I- Egypt... Uh, kept Israel as slaves. They were enslaved in the nation of Egypt. And God did the miraculous. God brought them out of Egypt. Uh, Remember the story with Moses, let my people go. And uh, Pharaoh said no. And so God sent all the plagues and he brought them out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. And God did a miracle to say, hey, Israel, I'm breaking you out from the bounds of Egypt. Stay away from them. They're not good people. And so what does David or what does Solomon do? He makes an alliance with them. And God's saying, no, why would you do that? Like, you're supposed to trust me. I've done all these wonderful things for you. How come you're not trusting me? How come you're making an alliance and trying to trust the, the, the armies of men and the chariots of the Pharaoh instead of trusting me? And not only that, it wasn't a normal alliance. But verse 1 says it was a marriage alliance. There was a marriage alliance between Solomon and, and Pharaoh, uh, king, uh, one of Pharaoh's daughters. And again, you're looking at this and saying, well, that doesn't sound so bad, except for the fact that God specifically said, listen, Israel, I'm doing something special with you. I don't want you to marry those other nations. Those other nations will will take your eyes off of me. And so here's Solomon saying, okay, except I'm going to marry this woman from Egypt. Verse 2 of 1 Kings chapter 3 says that the people, they worshiped and they sacrificed to God in the high places. And we think, well, that doesn't sound too bad. Except again, the history behind it is in all those nations that worship those false gods that didn't worship the one true God, they would go up to the high places and they would worship and do all sorts of horrible things. There'd be all sorts of sexual perversions. They would be offering child sacrifices. They would do horrible things in the name of worship on these high places. So God said, listen, don't, don't go up into those high places. And what did the people do? They went up into those high places. And verse 3 actually says, Solomon also did these same things. Solomon went up to the high places and is worshiping God. And then in verse 4, First uh, Kings chapter 3, it says, Solomon went up to Gibeon, which is the most famous of the high places. And while he's up there, he offers thousands of sacrifices to God. He's worshiping God in the one place that God said, I don't want you to go worship me at. Now, Imagine if you were God. Imagine if you were God and you're looking down at Solomon's life and you're looking saying, Solomon, you just made an alliance with Egypt. You, you married a girl from Egypt. You're worshiping the place I said not to worship. What do you think God's going to do? Like, I, I'm looking for the boomstick here, right? Like, I'm looking for lightning bolts and thunder. Like, I'm looking for, hey, come on, give him the good, big old uh, swift Swift boot to the backside, if you know what I'm talking about there. But that's not what happens. Because you get to see God's grace and mercy. Because in verse 5, God says to Solomon, Solomon, what is it you want? What can I do for you? Solomon was a man. He was a wise man. He's a good man. He made a lot of dumb mistakes. And here he is as an evidence of God's grace and mercy. God says, hey, what is it you want? Put yourself in that situation. God comes to you. Hey, what is it you want? How do you answer that question? 
well, I want a better marriage. I want my marriage to be better because this just isn't fulfilling. I want, I want a job. I want, I want money because money will just take care of things and I won't have the stress. I want, what is it that you would, how would you answer if God said, what is it you want? I want good grades. I want popularity. I want recognition. I want applause. What is it that you would answer? Because here's how Solomon answered. He answered with a very unselfish request, with a humble petition. He said, God, I'd like wisdom to know how to lead your people best. He said, God, would you give me wisdom? And because Solomon chose wisdom, God gave that to him, and God gave everything else to him as well. He threw all those other things in. In fact, it said because God gave Solomon this special wisdom that Solomon possibly is the wisest man that ever lived on this earth. And this is the guy that God chose to put together these, this book, to speak to us 2,000 years later, 2,500 years later, 3,000 years later. The wisest man who ever lived wrote a book for us to read. That's the who. That's Solomon. A picture of grace and mercy. The what? What did he write? Verse 1 tells us he wrote Proverbs. He says, the Proverbs of Solomon, king of Israel, son of David. Proverbs, uh, that word proverb comes from uh, the Hebrew word mashah, which means to represent or to be like. And so what a proverb is, is a proverb is a little model of reality. It is a little bit of truth that represents some aspect of daily life. Now, as we understand English Proverbs, we understand that these are simple uh, little pithy sayings, simple illustrations that expound on some fundamental reality of life. In fact, one commentator said, a proverb is nothing more than compressed experience. Saying, hey, somebody who has knowledge, they've, they've put this together, they've said, listen, this is the best way that life works. We understand what Proverbs are. There are all sorts of Proverbs in our culture. I wrote some of these down. And these are little bits of truth. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Like, that's true, isn't it? That's true. Teenagers, it's really true for you. Number two, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You ever been there? You ever done that? Some reality right there. Number three, a watched pot never boils. Amen to that, right? And number four, my favorite proverb a man who runs in front of a car gets tired. <laughs> Come on, that's gold right there. That's gold. This, these are Proverbs. But biblical Proverbs, they have some of the same regard. These, these little bits of, of, of truth. But biblical Proverbs are more than just fortune cookies. Biblical Proverbs actually contain the wisdom of life and death. In fact, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 14 says, The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. The one may turn away from the snares of death. See, these Proverbs are the stuff of life and death, if we would just listen. The book of Proverbs is going to weave together these threads of moral and religious colors and describe what wisdom looks like. Describe and give us insight into how life generally works. 
I want to give a little bit of a caution, though, as we look at Proverbs. Sometimes what happens is we confuse uh, a proverb with a promise. You understand the difference between these two? Proverbs are not promises. The Bible is full of promises. And these are, are beautiful promises that we need to claim. The Bible says we can claim these promises. So we read the Bible, we, we read promises like this. First John chapter 1 says, If we confess our sins that he is faithful and just to forgive us, that is a good promise for us to remember. Because when Satan begins to accuse you to say, Hey, remember how bad you are? We claim that promise and say, No, my God said, If I confess my sins, he's faithful to forgive me. That's a good promise for us to remember. That's a promise from God. Joshua chapter 1, 9 uh, gives us a promise that says, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. And here's the promise. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That is such a good promise. That those days when we're feeling down, those days that we're feeling alone, those days we feel abandoned, we cling to that promise. No, my God said, I'm with you wherever you go. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, another promise. Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. That is a promise that some of us need to hear today. You come, you've come, and that's why you came to church, because you're feeling the burdens, you're feeling the, the he, you're heavy laden. And I want you to hear that promise, that promise from God. Come to me, and I will give you rest. But a proverb is not the same thing as a promise. You can't claim a proverb that it's going to have to happen. A proverb is different. A proverb describes how life usually works. So you're looking at generalities. This is how life usually works. It's not a guarantee. So, for example, when you read Proverbs 10.4, it says that a slack or a lazy hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Now, you can look at that and begin to look around and think, generally, that happens. But have you ever met a lazy rich person? Have you ever met like a trust fund baby? Like, come on. So, so this is a proverb. Generally, this is what it looks like. But there are exceptions to the case. Proverbs 22, 6. This is a, a, a verse many of us are familiar with. It says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I love that verse. But that verse is not a promise. It's not a guarantee. Gen generally speaking, if you raise your kids up right, train up a child in the way he should go, chances are they're going to remain faithful in their adult life. But how many, how many of us have known somebody, raised their kids up right, did everything right, when that child became an adult, they made their own decision. And they've walked away from God. They've walked away from the church. Proverbs are not promises. Don't mistake those. Third thing I want you to see in the book of Proverbs this morning is the why. Why do we have the book of Proverbs? And to answer that, you have to look at verse 2. Because this is what Solomon says, the why. He says, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. He wants us to have wisdom. And there's two ways that wisdom plays out in that verse. Number one, uh, first reason for why is that we would have deep character. That's what he says. When he says in verse 2, to know wisdom and instruction, he's talking about building deep character. You see this play out in verses 3 and 4. They tie into the same idea about building deep character. Now, some of us are going to say, well, well, why does character matter? I mean, he's talking about wisdom. Why does character matter? And I'll tell you why character matters. 
Because again, we look at people who are exceptionally talented. We look at people with all of the knowledge, and they can rise up, and they can look successful. They can look like they have everything going for them. But in a moment, it reveals a, a lack of character. A poor decision brings all of that crumbling down. And Solomon and God want us to know that the key to life is not just having the knowledge. It is having a deep character. It is being a, a, a genuine person. Wisdom is more than just brains. In fact, you would define wisdom. I'm defining this morning wisdom as skill, expertise, or competence to understand how life works. To understand how life works. This is a Seahawks showing up on game day. And this is a Seahawks not just showing up and saying, man, I hope everything goes good. I hope we win today. No, this is a Seahawks thinking ahead of time. That This is Coach Carroll thinking about the rules, thinking about the psychology of the game, thinking about the timing of the game, thinking about the strategy. And he walks into game day with a plan, with a plan to score more touchdowns than the Raiders, right? Like that is what wisdom is. No interceptions on the one-yard line. We're not doing that again. Been there, done that. There's wisdom that we have learned since then. And the question becomes, well, if wisdom is so valuable, like, why don't more people have wisdom? Like, if wisdom is so tremendous, if it's the key to, to successful life, why don't more people have wisdom? And you have to look back at verse 2. Because Solomon wrote to know wisdom and instruction. That word instruction can also be translated as discipline. And now it gets a little awkward. See, you and I, we are not born wise. In fact, we're actually born foolish. In fact, throughout the book of Proverbs, Solomon is going to use a, a word to describe us as human beings. He used this word, uh, uh, verse 4, it says, to give prudence to the simple. It's a word, uh, petty, P-E-T-I. It means to be simple. It means to be naive. It means to be ignorant. And when he uses a word, he's describing us. Now, some of you are sitting in your chair and getting a little offended. Like, did you just call me simple? Did you just call me ignorant? Oh, no, you didn't. You're going to wag that fever and finger, give me that death stare. But here's, here's what I love about the Bible. The Bible doesn't idealize us. We like to idealize ourselves. Oh, I'm great. I'm wonderful. I have it all together. The Bible doesn't do that. The Bible meets us with where we really are. You and I, we aren't these, these neutral blank slates. You and I, we don't have that little uh, devilish figure on our right shoulder trying to tempt us. We don't have that little angel on our left shoulder trying to, to restrain us. There's no angel over there. In fact, all we have is we have a devil of a heart that is telling us that we're angels. We have a devil of a heart that tells us we're good. We have a devil of a heart that says, you've got it all together. And that makes us proud. And that makes us defensive. And that makes us suspicious. And what Solomon is saying, if you're going to learn wisdom, if you're going to have this life work out good, listen, listen, you have to understand your waywardness. You have to understand that we have a natural foolishness in us that we have to learn how to bring under control. 
That we're born with passions and instincts that aren't for things that are good. We're born with these natural passions and instincts, and we need instruction. We need discipline. We need correction that leads to us having self-discipline, that leads to us having restraint, that leads to us having a deep character that is needed if we're going to be successful in life. The second why for the book of Proverbs, second half of verse 2 says, so we would understand words of insight means that we would have straight thinking. We need to have the ability to know the difference between right and wrong. We need to have the ability to distinguish between shades of gray, discern what is black and white, what is wise and foolish, what is right or wrong. We need to have the ability to interpret uh, the non-obvious so that it becomes obvious. This is straight thinking. Simply that we would know how to make decisions in life and we would be able to choose the wise decision instead of the less wise decision. One thing I want to point out, I look at Restoration Restoration Church, there's a lot of wisdom in this room here. There's a lot of you who have uh, been following the Lord for a long time. A lot of you I look up to and I learn from and I appreciate that. But I want you to see what verse 5 says. Verse 5 says, Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. The truth is, as you get older, you get a little wisdom underneath your belt. It's a little bit harder to stay fresh, right? A little bit harder to stay expectant. A little bit harder to keep moving on the upward trajectory growth that we continue learning, that we continue growing, and we continue gaining wisdom. And what Solomon would tell to you, if you are an older person, if you are a wiser person in here today, Solomon would say, listen, don't coast through the end of your life. Solomon Solomon would say to you, don't die before you die. Stay humble. Keep learning. In fact, verse 4 talks about uh, uh, teaching the generations coming behind you the wisdom of life. I think the best example I've seen of that, there was a guy that was a part of our church for four years guy by the name of Dan Petker. Dan Petker was 90 years old. And Dan, I remember when we started the church, Dan called me and he said, hey, hey, Kevin, do you think God can still use me? He said, I'm 90 years old. Do you think God could use me at Restoration Church? And I thought, absolutely, man, absolutely. Dan was the guy who was hungry, who continued to say, man, you taught me so much today. And I'm like, dude, you're 90 years old. You've been a Christian for 60, 70, 80 years. You were a pastor for 50 years, and yet I'm teaching you. That's not how it works. But no, this guy was hungry. He wanted to continue to learn. In fact, uh, 95 years old, he realized, listen, I don't have much time left. He said, Kevin, I've got two grandsons at another church, and they don't know the Lord. He said, Kevin, I feel like I have to use my time I have left to invest in them so that they would come to know Jesus as their Savior. But I can't fret on that. A guy who says, man, I want God to use me. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Brings us to verse 7. Verse 7 is going to be the the theme for the entire book. This is the cornerstone of wisdom, the foundation for us to gain wisdom. And here's what Solomon says. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
This is the key thing that you need to write down in your Bible, that you need to circle and highlight and remember again and again and again and again, because this is, this is what it is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. Before we look at define what the fear of the Lord really means, I want you to understand the second part of that verse, because it's going to give us a little bit of insight. The second part of that verse says, fools despise wisdom and instruction. That word despise, you see that word despise, and that is, that is an emotional word. That is a word of, of contempt. That is a word of, of, of arrogance. That a fool would be arrogant and say, I am above wisdom. I am above instruction. I'm too smart for it. I'm too good for it. Solomon is saying, fools think they're too arrogant, think they don't need wisdom. They don't need instruction. They don't need discipline. On the opposite side of that, Solomon would say, listen, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The key to unlocking wisdom in your life isn't found in studying the Bible longer. It isn't found in, in gaining more information. It's not found in age. The key, the beginning, the foundation for wisdom is found in the fear of the Lord. Not a fear like you would be afraid of spiders. Not a fear like, like you have that angry dad who you're afraid is going to come home and get mad at you and get angry at you. Not a fear that one day God's going to turn and cast you aside. The fear of the Lord really means to reverence the Lord. To have a reverent awe of who he is. To view him in light of his majesty. To view him in light of his holiness. That he is different than anything that we've seen on this earth. To view him as the one that surpasses, surpasses anything we can imagine. That we would be in awe of his power and awe of his purity. In fact, Moses uh, shows us what an example looks like for us to fear the Lord. In Moses, or excuse me, in, in, in Exodus chapter 3, uh, Moses hears the voice of God himself. And chapter 3 says that Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The fear of the Lord means that we recognize God for who he is. That he is God and we aren't. There's a little bit of a contrast in that verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That shows humility. And then he says the fools despise wisdom and, and, and instruction. That's the arrogance. The fool... The fear of the Lord is the opposite of, of, of arrogance, the opposite of despising. The fear of the Lord is a, a willingness to change. The fear of the Lord is, is us learning to completely surrender to God's will. The fear of the Lord is, is us both knowing and feeling that we are not the measure of all things. That God is a measure of all things and we are the ones actually being measured. It's recognizing who God is. And this is a book of Proverbs. You can almost picture this like this. The book of Proverbs. You look in front of you and there's a community of wisdom. There's a group of people standing around in a circle talking. And all these people are Yoda smart. All these people are, are, are those people that we would look up to. And so you see people like Solomon. You see people like, like David. You see people like the Apostle Paul. You see people like Augustine, like Martin Luther. You see otherly, uh, other remarkable people that we would look up to, 
that we would admire and say, man, I wish I could be like them. We see them in that circle in front of us, and we approach as a young Padawan, and we have two choices. We have two choices to make. Number one, we can approach with arrogance. I'm so great. I'm so smart. I deserve a spot in this circle. I've got so much to offer. I don't need to humble myself. Listen, if we approach the book of Proverbs like that, we are rejecting wisdom. We are rejecting what God wants to change in our life, how God wants to use us. But if you approach the book of Proverbs, you approach the wisdom with the fear of the Lord. You approach it in humility. You start listening. You start to try and understand. Listen, some, sometimes you're going to read some of this and it's going to be hard to understand. But when you stick with it, when you continue listening, listen, it'll start to catch on. You'll start to understand it more and more. And the more you listen, the more wise that you become. And just by chance, we might become profound people ourselves. We might be the people that people look forward to say, man, I see you're one of those people in that circle that I look up to, that I admire, that I want to learn from. Wisdom. That's what we're learning this summer. And what kind of difference does wisdom make in our lives? Think about this. Think about love without wisdom. Love without wisdom will harm people with the best of intentions, right? Seeing that play out in life, love without wisdom. Courage without wisdom. Courage without wisdom will cause us to boldly blunder. To go take great risks for no reward. Truth without wisdom. You know what truth without wisdom becomes? Truth without wisdom takes the gospel and makes the gospel very ugly in our city. Because we're just going to be the people that stand on the street corner and yell at everybody. You're going to hell. That's ugly. That's not love. Truth with wisdom. Technology without wisdom. (laughs) That is our generation today, right? Technology without wisdom takes the best communications that have ever been invented so we can broadcast stupidity. Right? Right? Now let's just take this a little bit further. Marriage without wisdom. What does that look like? Parenting without wisdom. Think about all that the world tells us how we need to parent and raise our kids. By the activities we have to have them involved in. But all these things, how are those kids turning out? No, we need wisdom in our parenting. What about our work? Our workplaces. Hey, a job is a reality of life. What does work look like without wisdom? And what does work look like with wisdom? But what about life? What does life look like without wisdom? And what does life look like with wisdom? I want to invite you to join me in a new beginning. I want to invite you to join me in a new beginning. I mean, isn't that why we're in church today? Isn't that why we're here? It's because we want what only God can do for us. And listen, the fear of the Lord is how we receive it. The fear of the Lord is is the door 
the fear of the Lord is a pathway to wisdom. The fa- in fact, the fear of the Lord is the, the pathway to faith. Wherever you are here today, whatever, whatever's going on in your life, whatever situation you're facing, no matter whatever hardship you're going through, the fear of the Lord is where it's going to start. So let's do that today. Let's humble ourselves. Say, God, I want to learn from you. God, I want to be taught by you. God, I want your wisdom.